starting recording now because you said you had this great idea. And yeah. we'll see how much traction it has. I also have to set, reset my alarm so it doesn't go off during the recording. But what what's the concept again? <laughs> I just said it. I know, but my brain is not very retentive. You should say that online. Record yourself saying that. I am rec- I'm recording right now. Oh, we're recording already. We're recording, yeah. My, my brain is not retentive. Oh, my God. People who are in the wrong band. The lead singer from Linkin Park, who's dead, for instance. I don't know his name. He was in the wrong band. Okay, why was he in the wrong band? Because that's a very... Because that band sucked, and his voice was amazing. Okay, okay. Well, so I'm going to defend them. I'm going to defend them because... <laughs> and I know, are. And I know that this is only going to contribute to my metal card loss that Start I've been in. experiencing Just the past few episodes. In. But I feel like... Okay, are they technically new metal? Yeah, I think they are. Okay, so... I don't generally like new metal. I like a little bit of System of the Down. I think they did some good stuff, but generally, I find new metal to be very not it just doesn't match what I tend to go for. But I feel like with Linkin Park, even though I'm not like a huge fan, like I didn't buy their albums or anything like that, all the stuff that I heard from them on the radio when it came on, I was happy to listen to, and. I could also chart a lot of the musical DNA that was going on in each of their songs. Do you know what I mean? I could say, oh, I definitely think that they were listening to this band. Do you know what I mean? When when they were thinking of this song. Um, and I thought that, you know, overall, the only thing I would have taken out maybe was I felt that the rapping didn't quite fit the sound. Do you know what I mean? Oh, yeah. But that might have just been because I'm like an old guy who grew up on 80s metal. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I, I might be being closed-minded there. But No, it wasn't a marriage of rap and metal. It was just, okay, now we're going to rap. Well, I'll tell you what right? I didn't like about their rap. It wasn't that it was rap, because there is hip-hop that I listen to that I like. It's that I don't think hip-hop should be... I don't think rap should be about nerd stuff. Do you know what I mean? And I felt like their music kind of had a lot of nerdy themes. And so it when they would rap, it just... I don't know. I just felt like this sounds like a guy who goes to a comic store rapping to me. Yeah, Does yeah, that, yeah, yeah. He so, didn't... He didn't have any gravitas. He didn't. He did. That guy bugged me every time they came on and he was rapping. I had to turn off the radio. But I thought they had great melodies. I really did. I thought they had really good melodies. And um, he had a great voice. I am not gonna. But it's not just him. It's also the guitar. It's the. It's all the other things going on. I thought that they all worked together. Again, I wasn't so huge into them, but I bought their album, so I can't claim that I know all their music. But. I, I listened to like every single that that they had on the radio and I liked them you know and and I would sometimes go down the YouTube rabbit hole with different bands they were a band that I would sometimes go down the the YouTube hole with and I thought they were I thought they I thought they were doing something that was different than most of the other new metal bands and I kind of felt like they deserved the level of success that they got um, but I do want to hear your argument because I'm taking us away from the topic which is, Singers that are in the wrong band, and well, not just singers, right? Warren B. Martini was in the wrong band, okay. In Rat, right? George Lynch was in the wrong band with Dokken, okay. Uh, and we all we just started recording, and I didn't even do any research or due diligence before we started. But those ones always come to my mind. Uh, Mick Mars carried Motley Crue for a long time, right? Because oh, I don't agree with that. Well. Let me rephrase it. I feel like the bedrock of their songwriting is Nikki Six's material. Right, and we talked that on a previous episode, yeah. but I think in terms of workmanship, the amount of stuff that he was doing, uh, Shout of the Devil came on the radio yesterday as mm-hmm. I was driving, 
and I was just listening to how much work he's having to do. Um, and for one guy, one guitar player in one band. And I, I think, I think Mick would have been a success anywhere. Okay. Okay. That, that's an interesting thought. Like, I mean, I do think he would be interesting in other bands. I guess the only question is what, ha- if you take him out of Motley Crue, how bad does Motley Crue become? Do you know what I mean? Right, like, right, right. like no, you just ruin history by taking him out of that band. Like, uh, so I'd be reluctant to go down that road. Um, but but go on. Let's see if there's anybody else that's in the wrong band here. I would say also Dawkin. I don't know. I never liked Dawkin and Rat. I never liked no, at all. I, I didn't I, like either of those bands either. But Warren and George are really really talented, and they would have been huge successes in other bands. Maybe, but I mean. Like, couldn't they have done something to to elevate the crap that we were listening to from both of those bands? Like, I I don't know. I think that I mean, once you decide you're in Rat, you're making you're making poppy music, right? Yeah, but I mean that's what I'm saying. But I mean, it's not just poppy; it's just not even memorable. Like, I don't mind poppy music. I just want music to be memorable and to kind of leap out at me a little bit. And when I whenever I because the only time I would really encounter Rat was when they were on the radio. And I would, and the same with Dawkin, and more of the time I would encounter them on those old compilation albums that we used to get when we were younger. And whenever I would get to like a Dawkin or a Rat song, I would just hit the fast forward button because I just never liked it. Um, And so, but I feel like a sufficiently talented musician would have broken through all of that and, and, and created something memorable. Do you know what I mean? But I, I never... I never really remember anything those guys did, um, but I don't know. Maybe there's something particular that you're thinking of that that le- that leaps out. Well, if you listen to Warren Demartini's work, just isolate him from the band. Okay. Watch his finger work. Watch what he's capable of versus what he produced in that band, and you will see somebody that is a mismatch. Okay, but but here's the that, thing: that band just needed a competent oh, but- guitar player. They just needed a C-level guitar player, and they would have been fine. And Warren is a top-tier guitar player. But the thing is, you can be a top-tier guitar player and still make terrible music. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> like, 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 I get that. Like, he might he might have been great. He might have been great, and he might have exceeded the technical requirements of the band. But I feel like if he was truly great, he would have added inspired music that would have leapt out at me. Do you know what I mean? I would have heard solos from time to time that would have been like, wow, like that's a rat song, but wow. Do you know what I mean? Or was he in rat or Dawkins? Which one was he in? He was in rat. Rat. Okay. Yeah. Uh, but wow. But, uh, I don't know. I, I, I go, go back and listen to round and round by rat. I hear that song all the time on house of hair. And I can't stand that song. I, but listen to the solo. Listen right. to his solo. Ignore the rest of the song. Just listen to his solo. And it, it's not even the same band when he's playing his solo. It's not. And uh, you can say the same thing about George Lynch and Dawkins. As soon as he's working somewhere else and he's all right, allowed here, to... Here's finish. what I want to do. Let's find it now. Let's let's get round and round by rat, right? That's what okay. I want to... Let's not inflict people with that. Just jump to the... That, do, you, do you know oh. roughly where the guitar would yeah. appear? No. Well, we're going to have to jump around then. Yeah, um, we're going to have to jump around. All right, it's certainly not in the first minute, right? Right. What, what's your guess? Give me a guess and we'll just land there. Two and a half. All right. So I'm going to jump to the two and a half minute mark. Ooh, the visuals do look promising there because um, I see guitar. 
All right. Such a bad video, too. Is he the blonde or the brunette? He's the brunette. Was that the part you were thinking of? I, I like anything that he was doing in there, but there's that part at the, early on in the guitar solo where his he has really big long fingers if you look closely at his hand and he is just moving with such fluidity um with, uh, during that early part of the solo where he's just ripping and shredding uh what do you face? like the, do you like the sound of that solo though uh, the sound is i don't like the choice of pickups and and distortion no no i mean like the melody and like the yeah the melody's fine i think it's okay great. um all right but, let me go back uh, playing oh. it Go ahead. Let me try to go back a little bit earlier so I can get a little bit better sense of it again. Yeah, okay, so that's the part right before the harmony. Because the harmonies are the two guitar players together. Which yeah. is obviously more of a coordinated effort. I mean, he's clearly a talented guitarist. I'm not going to deny that. Um, yeah. I just feel like the underlying riffs of the song should be better if he's so great. Do you know what I mean? Like, and I will say that was a good solo, and I do think that yeah. the twin guitar melody is good. But I want to remind well, I, people. I think we're at odds here with what I'm defining as being in the wrong band. So let me try a little harder to define what I'm saying. Okay. Rat okay. has a specific sound. Yeah. And maybe they had a guitar player before he even joined. I don't know. But it's all very polished. And once he's in the band, he doesn't have a lot of control over changing and saying, guys, we need to sound more like Ingve Malmsteen. Okay, okay. He can't change that part of the band's image. So now he's stuck. He's a talented guy, and he's stuck in a successful band. But he's not matching the style of that band. Well, I don't know it's... enough about Rat's history to know. Yeah, the... and I don't either. But uh... I can look at Warren's work, and I can look at his, his talent and say, wow. What what a mismatch. Well, what is his... Does he have solo material? Yeah, yeah. And he, what what does that sound band. like? Does that sound like rap music, or does it sound like a different style of music? It Well, they're all bad recordings. I really couldn't tell you that he's... He You're not a building of, a good case yeah. for... <laughs> he, he does a lot of county fairs now, right? Because he's just... Well, I don't want to kick a man when he's down. From, he's fallen from grace, right? See, now I feel guilty about being mean to rat. Um... <laughs> Why rat rat does suck? They're not in our. No, I know, but if the guy's falling at hard times, like you know, I don't. Wanna... No, I don't. I didn't say he's falling at hard times. I'm just saying he's nobody's talking about Warren Demartini anymore. Right? I feel like I've heard people mention his name, though. I feel like I feel like I have heard other people mention his name. I, I'm just speaking generally. I don't think that he's a big name like say Jakey e. Lee or uh, Steve Vai or anybody but... that's or Noonan Bedocourt. Right, these guys have made careers for themselves and names, and I think Warren made a lot of bad choices. But I feel like I heard who was it? I think Rick Beato mentioned him in one of his guitar. I could be wrong, but I feel like he mentioned him, um, or he came up. But 
but yeah, I guess I guess generally you're probably right. And um, so I don't know any other uh, moving moving beyond rad, I suppose. Because I do want to remind people of what this song was. So I'm going to go back to another section of it, just so people understand why my skepticism was so strong. Oh. You want to know what always pissed me off about that song? Is it sounded like a really feet and half-ass Megadeth song. Do you know what I mean? It had like like something about those raw ingredients there. Could have been a really good Megadeth song. But it's like it's like Dave Mustaine came up with a riff that that just wasn't forceful enough and decided to sell it to a hair metal band is what it sounds like. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> And, and then the drummer's playing at a third of the speed that he should be playing at. I yeah, mean, that drumming is that drumming yeah. is just so bad. Well, and that's just the tempo they chose. So I don't, I don't, you know. Yeah. But like, I just, I don't know. I, 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 this song always for some reason they play it a lot now on the radio. When you're, I should, I should, I should reframe that. They play it a lot on the kinds of stations and programs I listen to, which are various syndicated shows that are dedicated to like old metal fans and old hard, hard rock fans um so like house of hair and things like that and for some reason it must be because of whatever agreements they have this song gets played all the time and i just can't stand it um so i don't know what what other bands did you have in mind for oh george lynch and Dawkins. like i said earlier i think he's a super talented guy he's got amazing finger work amazing fret work and there he was in one of the softest metal bands they're not even metal they're glam but were his melodies inspired i guess that would be the thing i would want to know is the mel is the melodies he's coming up with inspired i when you see him shredding you realize that he's being held back by the band okay but the thing is shredding is a display of your prowess right but but that's not what carries a song like you have to you have to have the the melodic intuition to get to the shredding i think we're back to he's not the leader of the band right Don Dawkins was the leader of the band. So if Don decided this is what the band sounds like, George doesn't get to... No, he doesn't, but here's the thing. A really good guitarist in any genre can still come up with inspired melodies. Do you know what I mean? He's not going to sound like a metal melody necessarily if he's right. being directed to do something else, but it's going to be something that grips you. Do you know what I mean? Like, So I feel like... Uh, you know again maybe i don't know maybe if he was writing for a different kind of band he'd write more gripping metal melodies i suppose i i I just i i guess i guess it's that for me i i would think that the spark needs to be more than their pure technical ability and also their musical intuition i i think you're making my point for me i'm saying he's in the wrong band and that the band held him back and you're kind of saying the same thing but in a different way that they're just it's a bad match well well i'm saying that i i'm saying that technical skill isn't the only thing that i'm looking for i'm looking for their ability to write inspired melodies like like lead melodies on the guitar and stuff like that um and but that's that's a completely different conversation that i'm having i think ingve and judas priest is a bad combo right yeah iron maiden is a bad combo that would have been terrible i think yeah uh Janik Gars, is that his name? Janik Gers, I think is how you say it, but I, I don't know for sure. He's a strange mix in that band. He's a talented guy. 
but he's, he's a strange mix. He start he's works with them now though, I think. I think I think it took a little while. That's it that's a whole other conversation. So we were gonna do a um an episode which we may still do but because i don't know if we're going to get to it yet i'll just drop the bombshell that i was going to drop that episode i actually kind of like uh no prayer for the dying <laughs> um right and i like fear of the dark too um which are not things that you're normally supposed to say if you're an iron maiden fan and something i've been reluctant to talk about in the program um but i, I so i i'm a little bit maybe more charitable to Janet Gers than a lot of because I remember when No Prayer for the Dying came out, people were pissed. Like people were like this was like in the early days of the internet when like on Prodigy and stuff. And I remember people being like, ever since Adrian left, the band's gone to shit. Right? Like that was like across the board what I was seeing everywhere. Um so I think generally people would agree with you about about Janet Gers. Um, yeah, and I don't think he's a bad person. I don't think that he sucks at what he does. I think he's a, a weird fit in Iron Maiden. But I don't think he's a weird fit in the same way that Warren in Rat is a weird fit. Okay. Because, because Warren is just a completely different kind of musician than that band was. Okay. And I think the the problem with those two Iron Maiden albums that you're mentioning is just the songwriting was awful on top of everything else. Well, I think there's... The lineup change. See, I would... I would I, well... So here's my thoughts on those albums. And I know we're getting off topic. I think I like the songwriting on both of those albums. I feel like the recording that they did for No Prayer for the Dying was a little too stripped down, especially following Seven Son of the Seven Son. Yeah. I understand that they wanted to shift to a different sound, which they definitely do. Um, but it's also they're also following one of their probably their best album ever. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. so so there's that. But there are songs on there like I I love Bring Your Daughter to the Slaughter. I think that's a great song. I love um uh Mother Russia. I love the 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 beat to that song and the intro. And I I love um oh god, I love the song No Prayer for the Dying. And The Assassin. I think The Assassin's a great song. Um Running Silent Running Deep is an awesome song. Um you know, like I I I I adore that album. It definitely has its flaws, and I think the biggest flaw is the guitar harmonies are slightly out of sync. Do you know what I mean? Like you can sometimes hear the guitar come in a little bit late on a on a bar. Do you know what I mean? And it's jarring. Um, but I kind of like the dark, leathery sound that they get on that album. Um, but I don't know. I'm sure you have a response because I know that my I, opinion is not widely held. Um, yeah, that, and you pick the worst songs off of that album <laughs> that you like. So it is so weird that you've gone down this road. I, um, I got it. I, well, let me get the track listing so I can see if there are any other songs that would have uh, yeah. leapt out at me if I, because it has been a little while since I've listened to No Prayer for the Dying. Um, I, I think every single time they make a poppy or radio-friendly song, and they do one per album, uh, where Bruce is just dominating and nobody else gets to do anything. I think that those songs are usually the worst. So, but, but none of those songs I mentioned were poppy, I think. No, no, I, I was going to finish it. Oh, okay, I'm sorry. I was going somewhere. Okay. Uh, I think the, the, the bevy of songs on that album are all trying to do that and they never even get close. They're just these half-finished, half-thought-out mm. songs where the melody never resonates, it never catches up to what it wants to do, and then you get to the chorus hoping 
that there's a payoff and there isn't. And so everything is half-baked. I don't know. I I disagree. I, I love the chorus in Bring Your Daughter to Sleep. You, know, you know that chorus where they're going blah, 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 blah. That, and that's the worst thing. That, oh, I love that. I love that. And I, I love the, the... Okay, so I'm looking at the track listing now. I just listed off the best songs off that album. Hands down. You are so no. wrong. Okay, so here's the other songs. Tail Gunner? No. That's not a great song. Holy no, Smoke? Not. No. That's not a great song. Public Enema Number 1? No. Not a great song. Fate's Warning? That's, a, that's decent. Um, Hooks in You? It's not a great song. You know, but Mother Rush is a tremendous song. Bring Your Daughter to the Slaughter is one of the funniest songs that they've ever written. You know, Running Silent, Running Deep is... I feel like I'm in a submarine when I hear that song. Do you know what I mean? I feel like I'm in a movie in a submarine. The Assassin is so atmospheric and just... I don't know. I, I, I quite like that song. And No Prayer for the Dying has like a... I don't know. It just has a really interesting opening lead. And and I, I like the overall sound of it. Um... But again, I know I'm in the minority here. I know I'm expressing a very unpopular view among Iron Maiden fans. Um, but, but, but I'm also surprised that that the songs I like are considered the least good songs on the album. Oh my god! You, you got to say something. I need a. I need no, some kind of response. No, no, you just you just drove this topic into the ground it is uh it's, it's not in the ground the this is interesting territory because this is where this is where we're hashing out significant differences in the in the in the community do you know what i mean like sure. like pe- people sure. people will fight over this kind of stuff so i think it's actually an interesting topic and and again this is something where i was obviously i was reluctant to talk about my fondness of that album for a reason because i knew it would get a response um but I'm talking about yeah, and we started talking about band members who are in the wrong band, and now we're talking about the two biggest scars on Iron Maiden's discography. I think I this. I think. Two with Blaze, I think. Blaze I think Blaze. we've we've wandered into interesting territory, though. So we no, should embrace absolutely. it. A- absolutely. Let's continue. But I think that those two albums are just so bad. I would rather listen to Virtual X. <laughs> oh, oh, one. no. Other one. Yeah, absolutely. That's that's just. Any album but that. I mean, like, so, okay, all right, all right, so. If, if you're going to say something so damning as to say Bring Your Daughter to the Slaughter is a good and fun song. It's it's so great. Bring Your Daughter to the Slaughter is, like, Bruce Dickinson has a kind of like an interesting sense of humor that he brings to the band, I think. And to me, that song really encapsulates it, dude. I mean, it's, it's obviously, if you take it seriously, it's a silly song. But I think if you except the humor of it it's 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 an amusing song let's pretend for a second that you don't know who iron maiden are you've never heard any of their music before and you're looking at their album an album cover of theirs any of their album covers. that was one of the first iron maiden songs i ever heard so you're looking at one of their albums first time in the story you think iron maiden oh my god look at this horror cover look at that jagged logo these guys are going to be badass and then so, you pick up that album, you take it home, and it's, huh? You have to remember, I got into metal in like eighty nine, ninety because I was in like the seventh grade, and yeah. so I got into metal as this album was coming out. I, the first Iron Maiden album I had was, uh, what was the name of it? Uh, um, live After Death, the live album, and 
And so that was my first exposure to them. But then my second exposure was No Prayer for the Dying. And Bring Your Daughter to the Slaughter was so one of the earliest Iron Maiden songs I had heard. Um, and so, again, it's, you know, obviously I'm coming into it at a different point in their career as a fan. And, uh, and that might be affecting how I perceive this album. But it's, but shortly after I you know I, I I consumed their entire catalog, so I had some context. Um, but I don't know. Just bring your daughter to the slaughter is a. I, I like that song. I like the vibe they get. I like the again that chorus. I think is one of the more interesting Iron Maiden choruses that they've done. Um, and and Mother Russia, I think, is a really well crafted song. Um, and I think it's also probably got one of the more interesting rhythms that they've ever done in a song because they kind of go for that that upbeat that you get in a lot of Russian music and I think that gives it a really interesting kick um, <coughs> but but again I do know I, I, I acknowledge I'm in the minority I, I I completely understand that people are not as big of a fan of this album as I am um, but what about no uh, what is it uh, fear of the dark Um that's one that a lot of people really don't like. And when it first came out, I didn't like it either because I was, by that point, I was, you know, I, I had deeply delved into their whole catalog and it was, uh, it was sort of exciting for me that this new Iron Maiden album was coming out and I was disappointed because it was such a radical change in direction. Um, but then as the years went by, I found I really liked the album. It was one that I kind of came back to. Um, so, so I don't know. Uh, do you think that I'm, I'm looking at the song list? Yeah, um, Fear of the Dark. There's two good songs on it. So, what what do, what do you consider the two good songs? Fear of the Dark and Judas Be My Guide. Those are both good songs. I agree. I really like Fear of the Dark, and I really like Judas My Guide. I also really like Wasting Love, which I know, I know a lot of people don't like, and I know it's got a lot of cheese in it. But I feel like that was them like legitimately writing a pop song. Do you know what I mean? Like I feel like they were like, we're going to write a pop song. And they did it. Do you know what I mean? They were, I think they were doing it to demonstrate that they could. And I think they were two years too late with that song. Like that was a song that if it came out in 89 or even 90, they probably would have gotten a lot more traction with it. But because it came out like basically when grunge was hitting there was no chance that a song like that was going to reach the heights that it probably could have. Um, but I, I like that song. I also really like childhood's end. And, um, what were some of the other ones? I liked afraid to shoot strangers and, um, fear is the key. I thought was a pretty good one too. And be quick or be dead. I thought was pretty decent, but that was the one that got overplayed. Cause that was the first single. If I recall, um, and also, I didn't quite like the subject matter of Be Quick or Be Dead because it was, I think it was all about Wall Street or something and it just didn't, it didn't really feel like it fit Iron Maiden. Um, but the rest of the songs, I felt like they were at least things like that kind of made sense for Maiden uh, thematically. So, but yeah, I don't know. I guess that's, I guess, I guess I'm just, I don't know. Am I, am I giving more reason for people to strip me of my metal card now? Is that... Is is if I, I'm just sitting back watching you hang yourself. So well, yeah. I I would just say, you know, listen to Fear of the Dark with an open mind. Listen to No Prayer for the Die with an open mind, 
and, or, or don't listen to them at all. So the, save yourself the agony. Don't listen to either one. I, I think there's something to be gained by listening to them. I think I think that they are... Uh, again, I mean, they're doing something different, especially with Fear of the Dark. They're deliberately trying to cross over into a more mainstream audience, right? Like, that's obviously what they're doing with that album. And by almost by definition, that's going to piss off a typical Iron Maiden fan. It pissed me off when it first came out. It's just that as I got older and would review the album years later... I started to warm up to it. Do you know what I mean? Which is different than my fondness for No Prayer for the Dying because I, I liked that album when I heard it. But Fear of the Dark, I think, is one that if people go back and they listen to it and they try to open their mind a little bit, I think they might have a different opinion of it. I think No Prayer for the Dying, you're probably going to be set either way because you either like what they did with that album or you don't. But but this one, I think there's more room for people to adjust their opinion over time. Um as long as you can accept that they're wading into more mainstream territory, uh, which, you know, I'm sure a lot of Iron Maiden fans can't accept that. So that might, that might be a, but, but you did say you liked fear of the dark. So what about that song appeals to you that the other songs don't? Uh, it actually makes sense. All the melody choices make sense. The buildup is correct. Um, it feels like an Iron Maiden song. It feels a little more poppy than your regular Iron Maiden song. But it feels like something I would have heard off of a previous album. Okay. Uh, Judas, my guide, feels like something off of Seventh Son of a Seventh Son, and the other songs off those two albums feel like a garage band putting together something for the first time. Oh, oh, that's killing me. I mean, I can understand they're, they're the garage half-baked band songs. They're I, all half baked songs. I can understand the garage band complaint for No Prayer for the Dying because it's such a stripped down sound. But I feel like. On this album, it doesn't sound garagey to me. I can certainly see somebody saying it's too poppy, it's too too light, or too this, but it doesn't sound terribly garagey. I would say I think people should give Childhood's End another listen. I think that's a song that warrants listening to again. Um, it, I don't know. I feel like it holds up better than a lot of the other music on the album. But... Um, but yeah, so I don't know. But I don't know. Are there any other bands to bring it back to the topic that we started with that have members that are uh, <coughs> better suited to another band? So I'm going to break the fourth wall here because I just think this is this is one of our funnier podcasts. Okay. Um, okay. You took all of the verve out of the fun podcast we were going to do about when bands go wrong uh-huh. with Dion, if we ever get around to it. And uh, you wasted all that energy because that would have been good stuff on that episode. I mean, I still don't agree with you. And then, uh, yeah, I think we have this this Frankenstein of an episode now. And I don't really know how we get back to center. I think we just go back into we just dive right back into we just got to shift gears. It's not that big a deal. Like if it's not like again, I feel like it's not like people need this stuff all tightly packaged and wrapped in a bow and. It's got to be perfectly constructed. It's conversational, so we're jumping around. If yeah. if we want to talk about alien conspiracy theories, we could talk about that. You know, it's like as long as we're talking about stuff that's engaging, uh, it's fine. So here's something interesting. Since we're talking about stuff that's engaging and has nothing to do with metal now, um, have you noticed how many prestige serial shows where the worst and most evil character on the show is female? Well, I don't watch as much TV as a lot of other people, and yeah. I don't watch as many shows as other people. So when you say prestige serial show, what do you mean? 
I'm talking about shows like uh, Mad Men or Sopranos or Breaking Bad or okay. any of those kind of shows. Um, I I mean I watched The Sopranos and Breaking Bad and things like that, but I I don't know if I have an, a broad enough knowledge of those kinds of shows because I haven't seen okay. Mad Men or anything like that. I, I I think I'm being overly sensitive when I see it because I think when I see it I'm seeing writers being just loathsome in the way they're writing these characters. And, I get you. And I I don't know if it's sexist or if it's supposed to be empowering. Well, um, and I struggle with it when I watch it. But we don't have to talk about that. Well, no, we could no because I have some thoughts about that because like I remember I mentioned I was watching the Rocky Horror sound uh, not watching listening to the Rocky Horror Picture Show soundtrack and I dove down the well and I apparently there was this whole conversation the past few years about it where a lot of people are having second thoughts about the Frank Furter character for obvious reasons and. One of the issues is, is it like a good representation of a trans character and all that stuff? You know, and, and one of the critiques was, well, they're making him the villain and he does all these horrible things and he's literally an alien and all this stuff. Right. Um, and so you're kind of saying the same thing, like the female characters are all villains. But I think the thing that people sometimes lose sight of when they make that criticism is the villains are the best character in any movie or TV show. Right. Like they're the most entertaining figure like I will so watch. I'm actually not talking about villains. I'm talking about actual awful human beings. Okay, I um, thought you meant villain role. I thought because I thought you had said villain no. roles. So that's what I was focusing. Skyler on. on Breaking Bad is a horrible human being. Oh, I get you. I get you. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. Okay. Okay. And she's easily the one that everybody wants when you're watching. I think universally everybody just hates her and cannot fathom why she's not more supportive. Yeah, I mean, I, I would agree that that's definitely the, the role she fills. Um, I also feel like that's kind of believable. Like, if you're married to a guy who's cooking meth, you're not, you know what I mean? Like, that's, <laughs> like, like what do people want her to do? Like, uh, like obviously she's going to be a bummer if you're, because the, the ride that you're there for is watching the rise of this meth lord, right? right. And, and so you're indulging in this criminal behavior that he's in, you know, you don't want, you don't want somebody being a bummer about it, but like, I feel like her behavior is probably pretty much what would happen if your spouse was cooking meth. Um, but I do understand what you're saying. I think, uh, can you give another example so we can kind of flesh this out a little bit and we'll see where it goes. Um, Gemma on sons of anarchy. I don't. I'm not familiar enough with that. Is, is she? Okay. Is she the um, uh, Peggy Bundy uh, yeah. character? Yeah. I I wanted to watch that show because of her, but I I never got around to it. Um, um, so it's it's awful. The show's awful. It gets so bad toward the end. So what about uh what? So The Sopranos, I guess, would be another one, right? Uh, I don't know if The Sopranos specifically. I think the worst person on the show is Tony. He's unrelatable he's just a despicable human being so i don't think that's an example i was just saying okay that's a prestige show um when i think of uh bob's burger linda's the worst character on the show i don't know that show either okay uh, let's try to find a show i know and then i can well name some shows you know uh a <laughs> walking dead um game walking of thrones dead, rachel was the worst character which one was rachel she was the one that was a pain in the ass in season two and was constantly fighting everybody, and then she gets kidnapped or something in season three. I don't even uh, think I remember I, her. I think she's dead. Yeah, well, she was really, really annoying. She's also on Fear of the Walking Dead, which is the prequel show now. I I mean, 
I watched up through season seven, but I, I'm, I, I don't know. It's been a while. So uh, give me another show. Give me another show. Um, I talk, I'm not a big show guy. So um, King of the Hill. Did you ever watch King of the Hill? I had friends who watched it, but I honestly never found the humor very entertaining. So okay. I would kind of well, tune Peg's out. Well, the worst character on that show. And I, when I see these patterns, it's always the same kind of horrible female character. And maybe I'm sensitive to it, having not grown up with a mom. So when okay. I see these horrible mom-like characters who aren't matronly or who aren't just good moms or good wives, right, on these shows, I think somebody's writing that character that way for a reason. Okay. But aren't they... Well, let me ask you this, because King of the Hill, right... What's the character's name? Hank? The main character? Yeah, Hank's the main character. He's kind of a moron, isn't he? He's not, like, a really likable no, guy. No, no, he's, he's, the, he's the bedrock of the show. He's but, not a moron. But isn't he, like... Friends oh, are morons. Okay, all right. I, I might not have enough of a handle on that show. But I guess what I'm getting at is, like, with the aim of a show like that is they want a character to be interesting and add some spark to the series, right, that's going to be entertaining. And if they just make her a good mom, is that going to just be too vanilla to add something interesting to the show? I- the problem is they don't make her an interesting character. They just make them awful characters. Uh, and I think this starts with Marge Simpson, to be honest, because Marge ends up the stupider that Homer gets, the more controlling Marge has to get as a counterbalance to his stupidity. Okay. And a lot of people then build character models based on the shows that they were growing up watching. And I, this is just a theory that I've had for a while. I don't, I don't even know what the percentage of these kinds of incidences are, Hmm. but when I see it, it's the same exact, holy shit. Is that the only character you can come up with? So, I mean, but but I like Marge Marge Simpson. I think she's kind of charming the way that she watch her in the later seasons. Well, I haven't seen newer seasons of the set. Cause I mean, the Simpsons is what, like 30 years old now or something ridiculous. I probably stopped watching at the end of the nineties. So I don't have a good handle on where the show has gone. Um, which again maybe put me at a disadvantage in this conversation. Is there another char- another show or character that we can uh, we can bring in as an example that I might know? Um, there must be other series. Now we have dead air. No, we don't have dead air. We're just struggling to come up with examples. <laughs> um, so um, it's a pattern that I've noticed. I'm kind of sensitive to the topic because I've talked about the the idea of a quote-unquote strong female character many times Mm -hmm. in blog posts and in essays and everything else uh and how how people rather than come up with interesting female characters they just make miserable female characters i don't watch game of thrones but isn't cersei the worst character on that show cersei's kind of i i don't i think she's probably by the end of the series one of the most disliked characters i would say um and i apologize for that uh but I, yeah, she's she's pretty pretty disliked, I would say, but but there's also a lot of female characters on that show that people really like, like Arya, and sure. for a while uh, the Khaleesi was very popular. Um, but who's until... the who's the most unlikable character on the show? Oh, I would, I mean, Cersei's up there. I would say, yeah, I would say she's up there. There's probably somebody else that's just escaping me at the moment. Uh, oh, um, Joffrey was pretty unlikable. Uh, Joffrey was pretty pretty intolerable, right. but he died well, in season was, four. That was a kid, right? Yeah, yeah. He was like a little mini Caligula, 
but less less charismatic. And again, the only reason I even know about this show is because all the Facebook posts, right? Yeah. Game of Thrones fans love spoiling that show for people on Facebook. Um, yeah, and I and, just spoiled something and something I said, but yeah. Um, well, I, I yeah, I don't know what to do about that other than I'm probably gonna kill this episode anyway. No, no, this episode is great. <laughs> We've gone for forty minutes. It's amazing. I want to point out to people that you and I have been talking since about well. I, it's almost five o'clock yeah. here in, in Pacific. In fact, Jim, could you do me a favor? Could you just talk for like two minutes so I can take a pill and stop this alarm from going off? Yeah, and we will yeah. resume. I'll All right, talk just just talk minutes. about what you're saying here, and I'll 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 right. mute my mic so we don't get an echo effect while I'm away. So go. All right. So for anybody that uh, has been listening to the show for a while, Brent and I have actually never met, and uh, we started recording doing some podcast. Uh, episode about one of my projects got to know each other started talking about metal did the first metal episode and now we somehow talk nearly every day not necessarily on skype but we do talk on facebook in messenger and we have been today recording for about three hours because we were churning out our fourth episode today and we're putting out so many of these episodes i don't think we have enough time to launch them all and we still have two more to go uh, on the previous project about the the music, the song that we've been commissioning, this is going to end up being a B-side. I don't know when it's going to get released. This is all very strange, and he's still gone, so I have to keep going. I have a friend that's been talking to me about L5R, if anybody cares, on uh, on Facebook while we've been recording, and she keeps asking me questions, even though I told her I'm recording a podcast, so she won't leave me alone either. Um not that that's interesting or relevant. It's just a nice little tangent. And that hey, was perfect. Back. That was perfect. And I just Brent have to reset back. my alarm, and then we'll be good. I have to take antibiotics like every four hours, so I apologize. Every once in a while, you will hear an alarm go off. That's me failing to turn off my alarm before. Oh, and one second. Jim, could you just talk for two more seconds? I forgot to turn the water off. So it doesn't really matter how long I talk. Brendan will just come right back in and interrupt and tell some sort of tangent. Okay. Story. Oh, All right. he's yeah. here. Yeah. So, no, I, I left the faucet running, and it was going to create background noise, so I had to Who go. Who put... does that? Who leaves the faucet running? I leave what? the faucet running all the time. Oh, you just cracked me up. I, 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 I do that constantly. I've, like, l- driven my wife to work and come back, and I've left the faucet on. Um oh. One of these days, I'm going to pay a hefty price when the faucet doesn't drain adequately, and you know, I get water damage or something. But, um, but yeah. So I don't know. I, I guess I might need more examples. But I feel like I I don't know. I'm I, I I hear what you're saying, but at the same time, I feel like a lot of times people want things reflected in their media that it's maybe not like we should maybe be careful what we're asking for. Do you know what I mean? Because if we get all of the, if, if characters are just serving the purpose of giving us like a good representation of a woman and a good, healthy representation of a man and a good, healthy representation of like a no. gay man or no, no, no. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not suggesting that. Okay. So I, what I, are you suggesting I wanna... then? Cause I want to be clear. I understand your point. Yeah. So before you had to go take the pill, I was talking about, strong female characters versus interesting female characters. Okay. And I think what ends up happening is writers get lazy and they take shortcuts and they just go for caricatures of characters. Yeah. Right. Maybe, uh, 
Gemma on Sons of Anarchy was interesting and tough in the first couple seasons. But eventually she just turns into an asshole. She's just vile and yeah. horrible. And everything she does is selfish and evil. And you hate her more and more and more as the show goes on. And I think those are shortcuts to good writing. My favorite female character of all time on television is the lead character from The Killing, followed by the lead female from The Bridge, followed by the lead female from Happy Valley. So my top three favorite characters on television are all female. I don't know who any of those characters are, by the way. That's fine. They're not strong female characters in the way that we constantly define strong female characters. But they are so fucking interesting. They're so deep. And so there's so much there that, say, when the end of season two of The Bridge comes along, Mm-hmm. And you're wondering why you're even watching season two, because season one was so perfect. Mm-hmm. Season two comes along and it's like, okay, da, 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 da. And then that last minute happens of the show and it just kicks you in the fucking head and you realize this character is awesome. This character yeah. is so well written. Do you have a more mainstream example that I might recognize of a female character you consider to be well done? Uh... And it could be from anything. If you need to draw from a sitcom, that's No, 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 yeah. I'm, and by the way, earlier I said I didn't like Pam on The Office. I think she's a horrible character, too. And which I one was Pam? Which one was Pam? It's the receptionist. Okay, I don't really remember her role, I, so... I think sitcoms are difficult because every character is supposed to be selfish and awful in some kind of way to create comedic drama. Yeah, yeah. But um, I'm trying to think of the... I really loved uh, Julia Louise Dreyfus on Seinfeld. That's a Yeah, she was a great character. She was, she was such character. a great character, but at no point would I classify her as a strong female character. I would just classify her as somebody annoyed all the time. Well, we, so part of what that was was Julia Louise Dreyfus. Like, that was what you were kind of getting her. Yeah. It's, and she's one of the funniest women ever. Go ahead. I'm yeah, sorry. and she's also... She's very charming, and she's very, like... Uh, she had, like, an energy that uh, a lot of people don't have. And so, you know, that was, I think, one of the things that made it compelling. That was also one of the... At least... For me, growing up, that was one of the more well-written shows around at the time. So, yeah. you know, th- there was there was that, and all, and it was it was just a show of very stark, interesting characters that uh, you wouldn't like. Now everybody's imitated Seinfeld, so it might not seem so novel. But at the time, you didn't have characters like that on shows that I remember. Um, these were really selfish characters. <laughs> like these are these were people that we didn't normally see on sitcoms. And so we, we got to see a lot of situations that we wouldn't normally see. But but again, I guess I guess it doesn't matter because you don't see her as an interesting character. You see her just more as a uh, a character that you enjoyed, right? So um, or, yeah, there wasn't said, a lot of depth to the characters on Seinfeld. So you're right. I mean, she's not a perfect example of a deep character. Um, uh, so I don't know. Is there? Any, let's see. There must be think, somebody. There must I think be we some struggle on TV with female characters now because they're trying to come into their own and writers keep taking shortcuts and just making them men with boobs okay so all of these characters come across it i tried watching that i don't remember what the name of the the tv show was it was the the science fiction on netflix and the guy is hunting something oh it was so bad carbon something Oh, I don't think I saw that one. All I've seen Stranger carbon. Things. I've seen Stranger Things, if that's yeah. got anything in it that's No, I didn't relevant. like Stranger Things either. Uh, um, but Altered Carbon, everybody in the show is playing the same character. The acting was so bad and so one-dimensional that when everybody's delivering their lines, they're all trying to be a badass. Did you see Glow? And, 
I did. I love Glow. Did that have any good examples of female characters? Because I saw Glow. I did. I saw the first season of Glow at least. I think that shows about the relationships and not the characters. Okay. Okay. And the best character on the show is the guy, so that's really a. Okay. That's um, really a struggle there, but it's a good show. Well, what about movies? Maybe we could do movies because there's probably a better chance that I've seen a movie because. I want to I want to engage this topic, but I feel like I'm not landing because yeah. I don't know the characters, and so it's uh it's hard for me to to weigh in if I haven't seen the character before. Did you ever see the movie Hannah? No, no, I haven't seen yeah. Hannah. Yeah, see, I see really weird esoteric stuff, so it's hard to. I mean, there's a there's a non-zero chance I've seen like a Chinese movie or something, but that's probably going too far afield. So, uh-huh. um. So anything Chinese, really, the female characters are always the best characters because they're the ones carrying the burden of men's mistakes, right? That's one of the underlying themes. But of there's Chinese also a film. lot of really terrible women in those movies, and they're great. Um, are you like, talking in, in in kung fu movies? Yeah, or you talking, yeah, kung fu okay, movies. Yeah. Like, I'm like, talking about it, tragedies. Like, like Lee Mocho in, um, in Return of Condor Heroes is just this terrible villainess who you know just murders people for apparently no reason half the time. And she's great. And um, uh, what's what's the other character's name? Uh, um, oh God, the the bronze corpse. I think was her was her title. And Mei Chao Fung from Legend of Condor Heroes, another character in that role, just a terrible person. Or like I said earlier, Bride with White Hair would be another one. Like these, you know, these really vin- like they embody a lot of like what we think of as the worst qualities of women. Do you know what I mean? Like they're not they're not at all uh breaking out of these molds that are there. But as characters go, I I I find those kinds of characters really uh, wonderful. Do you know what I mean? Like it's just a I I think it's different in a movie than a TV show, right? Okay. If you're doing it in a movie, you've got a limited amount of time on the screen. You need to compress some ideas, and you yep. may need to take some shortcuts. If I'm watching The Office and I got to watch Pam be a, a selfish person one more time, one more week in mm. a row, um, where she's just dragging everybody down, that gets exhausting. Is and the format it, the problem then? Is like the the fact that you, because I mean that happens to a lot of shows where they introduce a character and it'll have the character will have a spark that really resonates with people, but then. The longer the show goes on, there's only so much you can squeeze out of that spark. Do you know what I mean? Like it, right. it, it either becomes annoying or they have to like add on even more extreme elements to make the character just as interesting as it was the first time you saw it. So is the fact that shows by their nature are have this longevity and so things... So Mad Men is an example of a show doing it right sometimes. Okay. Did you watch it? I didn't. I haven't seen Mad Men. So Don Draper is the main character. Mm -hmm. And he's a horrible human being. He's struggling with his identity. And he can't find himself. And he has to live in a fantasy world where making people happy is the only thing he's good at. Okay. And so he's never never about himself because he doesn't know what that is. And so he never changes. Mm -hmm. His character really doesn't change across the seven seasons or whatever it is. And the last half of the last season is just god-awful. Just okay. awful. So the women on the show end up making, because all the men are awful stereotypes of the 60s. Mm-hmm. All the women end up changing slowly over time. They mm-hmm. all grow 
and become better at what they're doing and they become a lot better focal points of the storytelling that should go on in those kinds of shows. If you look at Friends, the characters just get worse and worse as the show goes on. Yeah. Well, and Friends That's was the, kind of a knockoff of Seinfeld, to be yeah, honest. Yeah, yeah, But Seinfeld was funny and Friends wasn't. Yeah, yeah. Um, it, so we learn a lot from that patterning and then we get to a show like Mad Men and the thing to do is to make the characters grow. The thing that people are always afraid of when they're doing a sitcom or anything for regular cable television has the characters changed too much because then people who are just coming in the middle don't know what's happened. I get why, you. why is this character nothing like they were in season one? So it's okay if they get dumber or meaner, so long as they stay the character that they were, if well, they become a, a bigger caricature. I, I stopped watching a lot of TV for a very specific reason. And I'm actually interested in your thoughts on this because I, I've talked with Adam about it on the um, on our science fiction podcast, but I haven't talked with you about it before, which is when we were young, TV shows didn't have a lot of connective tissue, right? Like it wasn't right. it, like there wasn't really story running through a whole series generally. It, that was pretty rare. And then and then like, you know, the first show I even remember somebody saying that that was the case for was Babylon 5. And this is how the conversation got started on the science fiction show that we had. Um, and now it's kind of the norm, right? Like shows yeah. are all about the story. Like Game of Thrones would be a perfect example. I stopped watching Game of Thrones and I think it's season six. And I picked it up again when they, when they finished the show recently because I wanted to catch up. But I was bored to death waiting for a story to unfold every episode. Do you know what I mean? Because I felt like... I wasn't getting individually good episodes. I was getting little pieces of a story. And I felt it was like having somebody feed me a little bit of ice at a time to hydrate me. Do you know what I mean? It was just like, it was just this torturous process of waiting week to week for the story to unfold. And uh, and so I feel like we've kind of gone in the opposite direction of where we were before and maybe gone a little bit too far into the... Do you know what I'm saying? Like, am I making sense or am I just going into a... Yeah, I, I think what ends up happening, and I know what I don't even watch Game of Thrones, and I can break it down and talk about it because I, this is just my thing, right? Is analyzing story structure. What ends up happening is early on the kinds of conflicts and the characters and relationships you created are straight out of the book. They're time tested. You know that they work. So when you're telling the stories of those first three seasons, you know what you're getting. There's no confusion from the consumer as to what is going on and why these things are happening. Then you start taking shortcuts. All of a sudden, the characters can travel across the land much faster because you just got to get to the conflict. Now, all of a sudden, the characters are making stupid decisions that they would never have made because you got to get to the conflict. Whatever the, the nodes of story that were permeating the first three seasons aren't permeate anymore because people are just getting tired of writing or they brought on new writers or they're taking shortcuts, or they're just, they've got these checkboxes they've got to get to because this all has to happen before the end of the season. Well, what you're saying is absolutely true for the last season of Game of Thrones. That's definitely what was going on. And I think um, I think that's why most people fell out of love with Game of Thrones. But right. my reason for falling out of love was a little bit different. My falling out of love with both Game of Thrones and Walking Dead happened around the same time, which is, I think, around the fifth season of Game of Thrones. And I forget what season for Walking Dead, but that same year. And what really started to bother me was, number one, 
too many everything was written from character point of view right so like you would you would always get these point of view characters and as we got more of them we had more points of view to tell and it slowed down the story tremendously to the point right. where i would spend an episode getting three different points of view characters going through three different stories. Do you know what I mean? And so yeah. I'd get like an inch of story every episode and it was so right. slow and so laborious. And I was also getting episodes that I would never watch again. Do you know what I mean? It wasn't like some of these earlier shows before we were doing this where like if you're watching, there might be like a great episode of Star Trek that you would rewatch. But that episode doesn't necessarily have any continuity with the episode that comes after it. Do you know what I mean? It's just right. a great episode in the middle of the season. Um, it's I feel like it's harder to get those individually good episodes when everything is so focused on tell, threading this story over the course of the show. Um, and I'm not saying I don't like story because I saw Breaking Bad and that was a great show. Do you know what I mean that was a? I, yeah. I really enjoyed that series. But because everybody is now trying to do what shows like that did, uh, I just feel like I'm drowning in really slow-moving dramas that that can never give me a single episode that's really thrilling. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but I don't know. I don't know. Maybe maybe I'm just out of step, or because uh, because I, I mean, there's also the downside of the way shows used to be. It was even worse because. You'd have like, you'd have like really interesting, dramatic things happen in the middle of a series, and then it would never matter again the next episode. Right. Do you know what I mean? Right. Um, and now everything echoes over the course of a show. So. Right. Well, and that the, therein, I wrote a game about this. Actually, it's not been released yet, but I have a game coming about these kinds of shows and how relationships change. You have. Uh, Deadwood is a perfect example, one of the greatest shows in the history of television, but it suffers from the character bloat. Eventually, there were so many characters on the show, you couldn't tell a story with the show anymore because you had so many people to cover in any one given episode. Okay. And it's one of the reasons it went off the air. It was just the cost. Um, and I never saw Deadwood, so I don't have Oh, you need to see the first okay. two seasons. So. What about this? Have you seen I, Claudius? No. Oh. You haven't seen I, Claudius? No. Oh. I would really want to know your opinion of my Claudius. So there's a lot of shows that I don't get to see because I don't have regular television. I only have Netflix. But so this is like an on... old PBS miniseries. It's been around uh, for okay. ages since we... Yeah. Like, it was sorry. out in the 70s. Um, I never watched it. I'm sorry. Um, yeah, that's... Uh, uh, okay, so you know what it is, though, right? Or do I? Do you want me to explain what it is? No, no, don't don't tell me. Maybe someday I'll sit down and find a copy. Okay. I, I like I'm, being surprised with shows. So. I'm burning with curiosity for Jim Pinto's response to I, Claudius. Okay. Uh, well, that's a good reason for me to sit down yeah. and go find it. it. It might be, you might despise it, you might love it, you might find it meh, I don't know. But I, I definitely think you would react to it. Um, but the reason I bring it up is because it has, it has very... Uh, I don't want to give anything away, but I'll just say the way that it handles female characters, I would like to know your opinion on, especially okay. in the context of this conversation. Right, um, right. So, so I, I lost my thread. You were talking about Deadwood, and I and the reason I brought up I Claudius because Deadwood is another show I haven't seen, so I was just going to yeah. mention that. And Deadwood treats women from a very historic context, and I wasn't bringing it up for that the treatment of female characters. I was bringing it up because it is another example of a show where it was unpredictable for the writers, and Milch did a great job of dealing with it. He could not see how the 
relationships were going to change between the characters at the beginning. Mm -hmm. And so he rolled with it and he started writing more organically to respond to the changes that were going on in the story. He had a bigger uber plot he was dealing with, but you would see characters just die because that was the right thing to do for this character now. Okay. I mean, he may have planned for this character to stick around, but that doesn't make any sense anymore because of the way these relationships are going and the, the performances he's getting out of the actors, things are, have now changed. You know, Swearingen and, and Bullock starting to become friends because they have a bigger enemy to deal with was not a plot he could have planned in the beginning that they were going to, the actors were going to work so well doing that. Yeah. I think when you write without knowing your ending, with you, when you write without being flexible enough to see these changes in characters happen, um, you, you put yourself in sort of the J.J. Abrams box where you start with this mystery and you don't have to worry about how it ends. You don't think about it. It'll all work itself out. And it never does. I've never seen that show either. <laughs> what, Lost? Yeah, I've never yeah, seen it. Yeah, neither When I heard about it from the beginning, I said, okay, I, I know exactly what's going on. This is stupid. I just, it's I just, not resolve. I had no interest in a show with that premise that it, yeah. it, it, it was that simple. And I also, I, it takes a lot for me to get interested in a show. Like you probably noticed, I don't seem to know a lot of TV shows that people know. Um, it, I, I really, I really have to be like goaded into watching a show before I'll sit down and watch it. And, and if I'm not entertained by the first two episodes, I'll stop. So, um, but I mean, yeah, I, I guess that that does make sense. Um, what uh, what are you looking for? Like, what is it that you want to see in women characters in TV shows? I, I well, most importantly, they need to have agency, right? Mm -hmm. And I think that's the thing that everybody has been demanding out of female characters, and because a lot of these guys are writing in Hollywood who are still stuck there. Well, right? can you they define agency? Because I hear that term used a lot and I don't okay. know that I know 100% what it means actually. I know what it means in a role-playing context. I'm not sure I know what it means in the context of a TV show. So a character with agency has the ability to make decisions that with for their character within the context of the story. So uh, a character without agency would be the, the female that gets kidnapped and a man has to rescue her, right? Okay. Or the woman that's told to shut up or the woman that is just a plot device, or the woman that's just a sexual device, or whatever. Those are characters devoid of agency. Women who only talk about uh, how to get a boyfriend are not really characters with a lot of agency because they're just going to end up with the same stupid guy they end up with in every single movie. So is it somebody who's not really a protagonist then? Like they're not yeah, really... Yeah, somebody that really doesn't yeah, have their own say in what happens to them. Yeah. And you could have a character who's living... Let's say you're set it in ancient China. Mm -hmm. You could have a female character who's the housewife and she's dutiful and she's obeying all the rules of being the wife in this environment. She could still have agency because she's doing things behind the scenes and she's disobeying her husband. Yeah. Or, she, you know, you you can make it work within historical context. You should definitely people, see I, Claudius. Definitely. Um, um, but go on, go on. What people end up doing is they take these shortcuts, these bad writers from a different age are still working in Hollywood and rather than write female characters with agency, they write a man character and then they just put them in latex. Joss Whedon's a perfect example of this, right? He thinks he's making strong female characters and he's just doing his fetish with, with latex women. Characters need to not just be able to take care of themselves. If you're doing an action show, they need to make decisions that matter. 
And every time I see somebody make a female character, they're, they're just, there's just another guy on the screen. And so what I want to see when I, when I see a female character in a show, so I want her to be interesting. I want her to be three dimensional. I want her to have agency. I want her to have impact on her story or the story as it stands without it being a cheesy, lazy stereotype where, Oh, all of a sudden she's having an affair with somebody because we need more sex on the screen. Oh, I get what you're saying. These kind yeah. of forced moments that don't make any sense in these characters' lives. Um, okay, okay. I did see. You, watch so you want you want them to be more character driven, like uh, by the actual chemistry of the characters. I think like, if you're going to have a character on the screen, regardless of gender, they need to be a character, not a plot device. And if you're just making them a plot device, you're being a lazy writer. But but isn't that too kind? Like, I feel like when I watch movies and shows, there are two kinds. There are shows that are character-driven, where the plot is driven by the choices the characters make. Right. And, then, and then there are movies and shows that are just driven by the plot, and the characters sort of bend to the needs of the plot. Do you right. know what I mean? Um, and so I, I, I generally... I mean, it depends. Like, I'm... I, I think I tend to lean towards character driven, but sometimes I feel like if if the plot's good enough, I'm okay, you know I'm, I can sort of see a place for things where the plot is kind of driving everything, especially if it's like a hyper efficient action movie or something where there's may not be as much room for character choices. Like for example, I don't know, maybe this is a bad example. What about Commando, the movie Commando with Arnold Schwarzenegger? Does Commando? What was it? What was his name in that movie? He was um. Oh God, I should know it. I feel like I, I feel bad not remembering his name. Um, I gotta look this up. But did did Arnold Schwarzenegger's character in Commando have agency? He's the only one that has agency. And Everybody his name else? was Matrix. John Matrix. What a horrible name. That no, it's a brilliant name. It's a brilliant name. Yeah, well, it's a brilliant for this the B level of film that it is. Absolutely, it's just so the, cheesy. Um, yeah, he, he's a perfect example of everybody's just there for him to kill, right? His daughter's there for him to rescue, so she's just a plot device. But does, and everybody else is there just to be killed. But then, does he even have agency? Because he's just there to rescue his daughter, right? To serve, you know what I mean? Like, sure, he's serving the plot, but he's still making the decision of how he's going to go, okay. the order he's going to kill people, or how he's going to kill people, or where he's going to go next. And the order was They're very important being, in that movie. He made a very not, yeah. Yeah, they're he, not meaningful choices in any way. But, but but in the context of that movie, like remember remember what was it? Was Sully the guy that he said he liked, so he was going to kill yeah. him last? Yeah, you know. And then uh, he says, "I lied." Yeah, yeah, which was which is one of his catchphrases. So, um, yeah. but but okay. So I I just wanted to to vet Commando and see if that so so <laughs> sure. because that is one of the lowest bar films that you could have picked. By the way. Well, I think Commando is a wonderful movie, so right. I'll, I'll put all context, that on you. But in the context of agency, it is the lowest bar movie you could have picked because it has so little of it. Okay, okay. So, so it was a great one to ask the question of because nobody has any but him. Okay, okay, that's good to know. What? Uh, I, I think we could do this all day with Arnold Schwarzenegger movies. What about the Terminator? Does Sarah Connor have agency in the first Terminator? She's a victim of circumstance and does not have agency until Reese uh, becomes wounded. Until then, she's just going along with the story and being... She's a passenger. What about in but the second then, movie? 
Uh, in the second movie, she's not even the protagonist. She's just a character that they meet. No, that's true. But she kind of looms over the whole movie, right? Because she's molded right. the sun. And right. she's and she's the one that's been preparing for, you know. Yeah, but the... she's just being pulled into his story. Okay, okay. Right? Whatever little agency she has mm-hmm. is secondary to the fact that she's serving the protagonist's plot. Okay, okay. What about... Uh... Was it uh, so, uh, Ripley and Alien and Aliens? Oh, she's absolutely the protagonist and has all the agency. Yeah. Okay. But originally written as a male character, not written as a female character. But you said so, you didn't like people just slapping a male character, female. What was it like? Just taking a male character, and making them female, but right? She is one of the examples of where it works. She's okay. The okay. And the proof's the rule, right? Okay. Okay. Because she brought more to the role. She didn't just say I'm going to play this like a man yeah. she also brought the motherly instinct to I've got to go I get you okay, so, that makes them so much more dire so now I see where you're coming you also want the you don't just want an interesting character you want a character that it ref, where the fact that it's a woman actually has some relevance to right the, if the character is trans so the character is male that if you're going to make, make a point of the gender of the character then it needs to have relevance to what they're doing, right? If you have a guy character who is doing a traditional woman's job, right? And I'm not saying that there are traditional jobs. I'm just speaking in the context of our culture. So if a character in a movie is a guy who's wearing an apron and cooking dinner, that needs to matter. Like Mr. Mom. Does that make sense? Like Mr. Mom. I'm with losing. Um... I can't hear you or see you. C- can you hear me now? Yeah, Mr. Yeah, Mr. Mom is a great example because everything about that gender swap adds to the greater complexity of the story. Okay. And I guess in Commando, too, he's like obviously doing things in a manly way, if that, you know, right, matters. Right, right. It, it's, it's testosterone at an 11, right? Yeah. That's what yeah. that movie is. Well, every, every movie in that period that was an action movie was was testosterone at 11. That was a that was a yeah. unique period of time for for that style of film. Um, I recognize that there are modern storytellers who are trying to take the value out of gender in stories and want men and women to be absolutely the same in stories, and that they're allowed to think that and write their stories that way. And I'm not going to fight them or argue with them and say that's just wrong. But that's not my preference. Okay. I because I think women are complex human beings more so than just a piece of sexual meat for the protagonist in a movie, I want to see that full range of complexity. I don't want to see her just bitching at the protagonist like Skylar in Breaking Bad every fucking time she's on the screen. I want her to have a complex life. Okay, okay. You don't get that because of the way that she changes and the way that she reacts to uh, Walt. You know what? I, I did see Breaking Bad, so I can comment on Skylar. My big issue with Skylar wasn't so much that she was bitching because, like I said, I sort of... Spouse is cooking meth. That's a reasonable reaction. What bothered me about Skylar was that there was a period where she was lured into his world by the wealth and the, the money. Do you know what I mean? Like, where she seemed to be getting on board. And I thought that was kind of cool and interesting. I was like, ooh, like, yeah. them working together would be kind of fun. Like... I, you know that's 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 neat. I like that. But then I forget what happened that disrupted it. But something occurred, and she ended up doing a one eighty. And that one eighty bothered me more than anything else in the show. Um, I don't remember what her one eighty is. I remember it happened. I remember she took some of the money 
to bail out her old boss, and that led to all kinds of problems. I think... So that there could be a fifth season or whatever it was. Yeah, I don't remember the details either, but I remember the 180 bothered me. Um, and I also... Well, well, how do you feel about the Hank character in that show? I'm just curious. I know it's not related to the female topic, but I'm curious what you think about Hank. I, I didn't like his wife because she didn't serve a role on the show. I didn't like when he started buying minerals online or rocks or whatever it was and having mm-hmm. delivered. I didn't see where that was going or what the point of that was. Uh, otherwise, he he was a really good antagonist for a long time because they weren't they weren't even running into each other that way. Hank didn't know that Walt was the bad guy. And yeah. so he's searching for them. He's got his own story going on. He's trying to make things happen. He has that moment where the bomb goes off and he doesn't want to go back in the field again for a while. And he's messed up. And I thought all that stuff was great. And he had his own story. Um, and then when he finally finds out it's Walt, I mean, that bombshell is so good that it's worth waiting all those years for. And I I'm think... Sorry if I, go ahead. I was going to say, I think he's like, to me... The most one of the most dislikable in a good way. I like the guy that played him. I like the character, right. but he's dislikable to the extreme for me. And the 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 portion of the show where I really started to hate Hank is when he was taking delight in arresting uh, Walt. Do you know what I mean? Like right before he gets killed, but right. when he when he like thinks he's finally caught his man, and he loses sight of the fact that this is a family member, and yeah. is is just. In, in love with the idea that he's finally caught the bad guy. I, I think that that's a great moment, personally. I think that that's really human. I think anybody would do that that way, if it, especially I, knowing what you know about what Walt has done to Hank's life. I, w- I would never do that to a family member, ever. Ever. Right, but, yeah, but is, is it okay that characters make decisions that you... No, no, it is. That's why I'm, I'm saying I like the character. It's just yeah. that I I. Dis- do you know what I'm saying? Like I get your point. Now, yeah, yes. yeah. I love. I, no, I, I think the guy they got to play Hank was perfect. I thought that yeah. he did a perfect job. They did everything they had to do with that character for that show. I just, I just think that the theme of that show. Remember, there was a scene. I forget the guy's name, but the guy that was in Scarface who played the assassin that tried to blow up the car was, um, was one of the bad. He was the bad guy that had the stroke and was in the wheelchair. Yeah. And there was a flashback to when the twins were younger. The, the two right. twin assassins and he dunks one of the twins in the in the water and the other one has to free the twin before he drowns and right. he does it as a lesson to say that family is the most important thing right that it matters and so i took that as like the central theme of the show and it resonated with me and i feel like that's the lesson that everybody in the show forgets that kind of leads to all the bad things kind of happening to them. Do you know what I mean? I think the uh, main theme of the show is powerlessness. Okay. Okay. Well, that's definitely but, a theme. I would definitely yeah. agree with that. But you're uh, right that that family is there. Not just, it's to show that, look, the worst, most evil people on the show still believe in family. When Walt and Skyler and Hank have lost sight of that, they could have yeah. all been there for each other. Right. Yeah. If, 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 it, if Hank, let's imagine Hank learns, this is a great conversation. Let's imagine Hank finds out early on about the cancer and the only way he can pay for the cancer is selling drugs. Now Hank has a, a moral question that he has to deal with. When he it gets resolved in season five, there's no moral question anymore for Hank because he's a purist. Yep. And all he says is right and wrong. 
So there's that's one of the interesting things about pathways and forks and stories is to imagine how do things change if this one decision got made. Yeah, no, and with Hank, I was doing that all the time. I was like, if I was Hank, I would be doing things totally different than he's doing. I mean, and obviously with Walt too, but like with Walt, Walt, we're getting a little bit more of a window into what he he's thinking. And so it, it's easier to accept some of his choices because he's the main character. But with the characters around him, you often have a sense of frustration because, you know, they're, they're again, I, I, you know, just with the family theme, I just felt like they're, they're, what I saw as the fatal flaw in most of these people was their inability to to sort of just do the right thing for their family members. Do you know what I mean? Like if right, I were Hank, right, right. I would have let Hank go. Do you know what I mean? I would have let Hank go. I mean, I would have had a talk with Hank, maybe, if I didn't think it was going to get me killed. But I, I wouldn't have, I, I wouldn't have been able to do what Hank did in that situation. I um, think the conversation with Hank is in the garage when he's talking straight to Walt, and he says, "I'm coming after you." And Walt basically says, "Well, if you know I killed all these people, then you know to stay away from me." That was the conversation. That was trying to give him a choice and a chance, um, in my opinion. Yeah, no, no, I got that. I got that. I just think that the loyalty should lie with the family member. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, like, yeah. like, uh, uh, yeah. And, and I heard that, and I and I agree with you in that perspective. I think the reason it's not is because nobody supports Hank. No, and uh, and obviously Walt. nobody supports Walt. Sorry, yeah, no, and and obviously the show did a they did the right thing in terms of the story. Like it wouldn't have been as good of a show if Hank was sympathetic to Walt, right? It would have, yeah. it would have been bad for the show. That's why I don't dislike where they went. It's just as a viewer, as I'm watching it, I'm like, no, Hank, you you should be doing this. Do you know what I mean? And right. that's, a, that's a good example, by the way, of not giving, at least in my case, I mean, maybe I'm, I'm an oddball and it, most people weren't feeling this, but that's a good example of not giving the audience what they want. Do you know what I mean? Like, right, like right. a lot of times we get like everybody is expecting a certain thing from a show and they get mad when they don't get it. And sometimes it's better when the show doesn't give it to you because it it maintains the drama. It keeps the show going where it needs to go. And with so, break. Oh, go ahead. No. With Breaking Bad, I was just going to say that happened all the time with me. It would go in directions. I didn't want it to go, but it had to go in those directions. So we've given out a lot of little spoilers on the show so far. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to say right now, big spoilers coming. So turn off if you've not seen the show. Um, that episode that we're talking about, it's episode 14 of that season. It's called Ozymandias. Um, it, it's, there's two more episodes after that, but it is the climax of the entire show. Yeah. And when everything goes down, when everything goes wrong, the, you are feeling it. You are feeling that punch in the face at the same level that that Walt is, because you're realizing that every time you've made a decision, it's just cost you money. It's just made you further in the hole of everything that you've done, and now you're left with almost nothing. Not almost nothing, right? He had eighteen million dollars or something. Well, yeah, he, he had so much money they couldn't even count it. If I remember, right, it was right, it was right. actually a problem calculating the money that they had. But once he's once all the bad guys are gone and he's left out there in the desert by himself with his one barrel of money and he's trying to get home, the tension that ratchets up 
for that episode. There's just no time to breathe. Yeah. There really isn't. And you've been waiting five years for this moment, and this isn't what you thought it was going to be. No, no. That's Again, the show goes in directions you don't want it to go, but it has to kind of go there. Um, How did you feel about the finale of that show? Were you... Uh, I've watched it four times now. Okay. I don't think I liked it the first time. Mm -hmm. And not liking it forced me to go back and watch it again and again and again. And the more I watched it, the only thing I didn't like is that uh, the kid that was working with him, I forget his name now, he stopped being a character and he he started being a plot point. He was just a thing. He didn't have any agency anymore. And I didn't like that part of it. But Hank's story in that final episode is so good. Now, at what point does he lose agency for you when he starts working with Kalisto? As soon as he becomes a slave to the bad guys. Okay, okay. I thought that was kind of odd. That 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 whole detour didn't feel... It felt like they would have just killed him or something. You know what I mean? Like, it just didn't... It didn't... It, it was a little bit extreme, if that makes sense. Like, I, I, I just didn't... I don't know. I didn't. I didn't quite understand why they went there. With, I, with I think what they needed, what they wanted to do, another big spoiler coming, so turn off if you don't want to hear this. Um, watching the girl get killed on the steps of her house on the second to last episode is the most important thing that has to happen to uh, Ad, Adam Paul, Aaron Paul's character. Aaron Paul is the most important thing that has happened to Aaron Paul's character. He's devoid of agency now, but he when she dies he loses everything yeah he's got yep. nothing good in his life anymore and it's all hank's fault it's all uh walt's fault yeah it's all Walt, uh, walter white's fault and so we need to see that moment how they get there to that moment is a strange drive okay okay and that was a very shocking moment i mean i definitely yeah. that was that was definitely I mean, quite a history with those though too because he also had was the girlfriend who choked on vomit or something that Walt and that was could... also Walt's fault yep yep though yeah. the thing that's different about that one is he was doing it for Jesse's own good right like right. he was imagining where this would go and he knew it was going to kill Jesse so he allowed her to die to save Jesse um, I, I think he did it for himself but go on okay but Maybe. I mean, I don't know. I feel it's hard to say how much of a sociopath Walt was, right? Like, I don't don't know that I buy the transition of the character over the course of the show. I feel like early on, there was definitely a real paternal connection that he had to the Jesse character. Um, Definitely by the later seasons, especially when he just throws Jesse to those guys. That 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 paternal connection is completely gone, right. um, but I don't know. I, I feel like I feel like that's that's one of the least believable threads in this in the series. Is that that I, I think Walt's ego has gotten so big at that moment that he expects Aaron Paul, Jesse, he expects Jesse to just toe the line. Mm. and obey his needs rather than for Jesse to obey his own needs. Okay, and, okay. And that ego is so conflated that Walt can't see that that Jesse's a, a different is a, is a separate human being. Yeah, okay, all right. I mean, again, and it's been a while since I've seen it, so I probably would want to watch it again before really weighing in on that particular topic. But that was it's just to me, that was just one of the threads that didn't quite land as well as some of the others. Um, 
but the, but it, and even if you're right, that's a minor quibble. In yeah. The oh, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. And also individually, all those little moments were still really good. Like the scene where the where where his girlfriend gets shot. That's a horrifying scene when it happens. Like it's a really right. dramatic oh, moment. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I, uh, um. So I mean, all that stuff worked. You understand why they did it. Uh, it's just that they have to. They have to. But again, at the end of the series, they kind of turn it around a little bit and give like Walt kind of gets a little bit of a redemption arc at the end, right? Like that's like, wouldn't you? I'm sorry. I said sort of. Um, So 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 he's not he's not completely bad by the end of it. Do you know what I mean? Like he he does go back and try to say, well, I'm spoiling, but he does go back and try to save Jesse. He does try to do good by his family, right? Granted, he's dying of cancer, so it's not like he's going to be able to enjoy the spoils anyways. But but yeah, I don't know. So that's why I was curious about your reaction to the finale, because I I didn't know how you felt about the redemption side of it. Yeah, yeah, no, it was telegraphed. Somebody had already ruined it for me. Um, So that was hard to also put together, but I really didn't like... Uh, Jesse not being a character anymore mm. um, and so when he finally gets the keys and he gets in the car and drives off screaming uh, you know he's fucked for life there's no recovering from him even though he has his freedom now if you think too long about it you realize that he's not going to live much longer well I mean well number one we know he's a drug addict and right. number two we know that he's he's lost two women that he's loved he's participated in gruesome murders with uh with walt and he was essentially chained and like imprisoned and forced to cook meth under horrible conditions for a year yeah enduring god knows what during that period uh you know and to top it off he presumably sees walt get killed right like did he wait did he witness walt dying in that or no 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 um but there's a really dramatic shootout that he's sort of oh you mean at the end of the episode yeah 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 i think he knows that walt's dead yeah Yeah. so so i mean that's gonna mess with them too because it's probably if he did want walt to die he wanted to do it himself probably um but maybe he didn't want walt to die he maybe wanted to say something to walt or who knows so uh well walt hands him the gun and gives him the opportunity to kill him no but what i'm saying is they don't have a chance to like it's it's he they they part under very dire circumstances and it's probably not the closure that is that he was imagining during his imprisonment um but i don't know i'd probably have to rewatch that episode though because maybe i'm missing some key details that i forgot about so i think we should stop recording because i just got another set of lyrics okay music, um, and we can i can mix it and we can talk about that well i well let me stop recording and we'll we'll uh we'll we'll uh head into that to that but uh, yeah, so we'll end the episode here. We'll be going for an hour and a half. And, uh, yeah, that was long. Yeah. And, this was long. And we will catch everybody next time.